And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one title of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Usually I tell you <clears throat> to keep your scripture open and follow along with the passage and we will depict it sentence by sentence. And I gotta tell you that this Sunday, because I don't have a sermon for you this Sunday. I hope in the traditional sense I never have a sermon. I always have more of a message. But it's really true this Sunday. Usually, God lifts out for me as I read and study and pray about the passages uh, from which I'm going to preach. And for those of you who are first time, we, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, um, reading the Red series. And so we do every passage in order that Jesus spoke so that we can learn his words and apply them to our lives. Well, this is bound to happen sooner or later, I suspect, but I kept reading these and kept saying, okay, where's the message in this one? And um, at first, uh, I just wrote, I planned uh, months ahead, and I just wrote down a flip, I don't understand this passage, um, and thought to myself, whenever God gives me the specific uh, message to preach out of this passage, then I'll change the title. Never change the title. But he, as I prayed, and as I worked through, there's no light over here. As I prayed, and as I worked through what he might be telling me by his silence, things you might need to hear by his silence, I believe that I have something to say to you this morning. I believe that all of you have read Scripture at one time or another and not understood it. I believe that all of you have come upon circumstances at one time or another and not understood what God was trying to tell you. Try as you might. Pray as you might. You could not see what God was trying to teach you or what He was trying to say to you in those circumstances. If you've had those experiences, this message is for you. First of all, I'd like to say that anybody who reads this passage who is a beginner will at first look, if he reads it carefully or she reads it carefully, will look at all of those verses and say, that is like reading a dictionary. All of those are different. I mean, they're not really integrally connected. And so a novice Bible reader will look at that and say, what in the world did he just say? A veteran Bible reader will look at that and realize that Luke was an editor, that he took the sayings of Jesus and Jesus and he connected them, different from Matthew, the editor, although I think Matthew did a little bit better job in this instance than Luke did, but you realize that Luke is the editor, but there, then some different problems arise for you. Why did Luke put these verses that were so different in there? Is there some sort of combination and so on and so forth? So 
The question is not so much, what did he say? You understand the individual verses, but you say, why did he do that? And maybe you have an answer to that, but I have not been able to get an answer to that. What do you do when you can't get an answer? What do you do even when your Bible study is more personal than mine has been in this particular passage? And by the way, all of you that read the Bible as if you needed to build a doctrine for everybody, please quit doing that. (laughs) Please read the Bible primarily as, God, what are you going to teach me for my life through this? Not what does everybody need to believe, not what kind of doctrine do I need to build right now, but what are you trying to say to me through this? But even if you do that, and you still can't understand, what do you do? Well, let me go through with you a real quick process of Four things that you can do, really. I've only got three down there. But four things that you can do to make sure that your trouble isn't in the receiver. It isn't in the the set, you know, that you're bringing in the signals on. First of all, make sure before you read the scripture, any scripture, that you have prayed that the Spirit would give you understanding of that scripture. 1 Corinthians 2 says very plainly that flesh cannot perceive the Spirit. Only the Spirit can perceive the Spirit. And so therefore, before you ever touch or pick up or begin to read the Scriptures, you need to say, Lord, help me understand. So that as God is making it clear to you, hopefully that day, but if not that day, someday, that His Spirit will teach your spirit what He wants you to get out of that. Second thing, if you read a passage and you don't understand it, Consult others. That's why we have each other. Consult books, commentaries, where there's things in the library and so on and so forth. Chase it down, the technical information you need, but also consult people. There's a guy in his body I love, Mark White, and I don't know whether he's seen in this service or he was in the last one. But Mark, very often, will, will call me up and say, I just want to come in and talk about Scripture. And I say, great. And so he'll come in and he'll just have several passages of scripture. He'll say, now, what do you think about this? He'll say, I've talked with several brothers and just asked their counsel on these scriptures, but I want to know what you think. And so, because I'm really trying to dig and see what God has for me in this. I love that. I love that. And some of you, Mark goes to, and he'll sit down with you and open the scripture and say, I'm not, you know, speak to me about this. Now you talk about a living commentary. That's what we are for each other. Ask each other. Well, I'll be able to, yep, right there. Here's the sun, here's Mark right here. But anyhow, that is a model of what we could do for one another. By and large, long time coming, Mark's going to teach, or God's going to teach Mark a lot because he has a living, a bunch of living commentaries in us. Well, that's a wonderful way to learn. So make sure that if you don't understand a passage, you ask somebody. What does this mean to you? I don't get this. Or even if I get it, I'm not sure that I, that God wouldn't tell you something he hasn't told me that I ought to know too. See? So that's a wonderful thing. Third thing, pray for discernment. After you get all that information, you're not going to be able to use all that information. And some of it may be personal information that people has taught them that applies to their life that doesn't apply to your life. So you're going to have to say, God, What do you want 
to stick in my life out of what I've been told here. Out of all the information I've gathered, what do you want me to remember? Practically every Sunday before I come in here, in my prayer time, I say, Lord, if I say anything, anything this morning that will not benefit people or bring them close to Jesus Christ, please make them forget what I've said. By the same token, if if you use me for anything that they need to hear, make it stick. So you can't always use everything you hear, and what you have to what you have to do is pray that God will help you remember exactly what you need. And then the fourth is to give it time in His time. Look, if you will turn to Luke chapter two, let me show you something. Verse fifty, yeah, chapter two, verse fifty-two. Words written about Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. What makes you think? What makes us assume that we ought to understand everything we read? Jesus, who was God, increased in wisdom. Increased in his capability to understand the Father. Increased in his capability to discern people. Jesus himself grew. Why should we know everything starting out? Don't let Satan come against you and say, Ha! You don't understand this. You ought to. You ought to be as good a Christian as they are. But they understand it and you don't. Who says? The adversary says. God doesn't say. If there's something you don't understand, it's for a good reason. It is either because you have not yet reached that level of growth, and all of us, all of our lives, are growing in our capability of understanding. So what you don't understand today, you may have the capability of understanding tomorrow. Please give yourselves that time. Please give yourselves that allowance. Because if Jesus needed to grow, certainly we need to grow in wisdom. Second, in Galatians 6, 9, it says, don't be weary in well-doing. Because if we don't faint in due season, we will reap. There is not only our personal growth time, there is God's timing. There may be some things that we have the capability of understanding personally, but don't make sense because God hasn't brought about the circumstances that make them connect for us yet. But the Bible says in due season, God has seasons. In due season, you will reap. So therefore, give yourself and give God time. Now, having said that, let me preach the rest of this message. Personally, it's embarrassing for me to get up here and say, I haven't got a clue to what God would have me tell you out of that passage. I mean, I'm supposed to know this stuff. Aren't I your teacher? 
Aren't I supposed to have some wonderful word of knowledge for you every Sunday? See, there's pressure here. Not from you, from me. Not from God, from me. And what gives me tremendous security is coming in here Sunday after Sunday, having a word that you probably have not considered before, something firm, something definite, something specific, something that somebody can look at me and say, boy, he really knows what he's talking about. Isn't it horrible to come in and say, I don't know what this passage means. It is. It's excruciating for me. And if there's that kind of pressure on me, I suspect there's some pressure on you too to not admit when you don't know stuff. To not be honest and face the pain that you haven't got the answer. Because people look to you for answers. And so therefore we have this need many times to look like we know everything and it supersedes our honesty to take the time we need to know something very well. While we're out there trying to look like we know everything, that takes a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of, whole lot of backpedaling, a whole lot of staying afloat. And we haven't got the time to say, you know, I don't know this one yet. I'm going to look for this in depth. Look at this in depth. And that's one of the problems that we have. And we run into quite a few problems doing that. Number one, we begin to look for knowledge for knowledge's sake and we don't care where the source is. How many people do you think there are in Christianity just want to hear some sort of answer? Just give me an answer. And they will run to any teacher who says, I have an answer for you. I have a definite answer for you. And I will tell you what to do. Let me show you something in Scripture. If you'll turn to 1 Samuel, <clears throat> chapter 28, I think it is. It's a passage about Saul. Now, Saul had let go of the relationships that meant very much to him. Jonathan would have loved him. Saul cut him off. David would have loved him. Saul cut him off. And all Saul had left as the power of his own authority was some sort of religious leadership that was embedded in his knowledge of God. But it came to a time in his life when God wouldn't give him the knowledge that he desired. Read verse 3 with me, last part of it. First of all, Saul removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritualists. A medium or a spiritualist is a person who claims that they can get messages from the dead. Ouija boards. That's a medium, somebody who's working to get a message from the dead. And Saul knew that God hated it and he removed him from the land. Then, in verse 6, it says... When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Either by dreams or by Urim. Urim is, a, is casting lots. They would cast different lots out and then they'd read them. Or by prophets. The Lord didn't answer. Shut it down. 
Now, when he had gone without the knowledge for long enough and felt enough pressure that he had to have some sort of answer, look what he did, verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. The pressure that is put upon us to know something, that we put upon ourselves to have all the answers, will eventually lead us to believing what anybody says if we care more about the answers than we care about the Lord. And if we are just bent on getting an answer when we believe we need it instead of when the Lord wants to give it. I watch TV preachers a lot. And one of the things that wipes me out. I enjoy TV preachers. <clears throat> and they say a lot of good things and I learn a lot of good things from them. But you gotta learn to eat the chicken and throw out the bones. You can't eat the whole thing. That's what the sermon is. And there are some serious bones with TV pre- preachers. <laughs> and one of the things that always gets me is one of these preachers come in and says, now this will change your life. I'm telling you, if you listen to this message, you'll be a different person. You cannot... And I think, I'm sitting there thinking, just throw it out there and let me decide whether or not it changes my life. What happens when a preacher does that, by the way, is that he's feeling real insecure about what he has to say. And so therefore he has to pre-mold your mentality to say, boy, that guy really knew what he was talking about. The people who are most fervent to have some sort of answer of their own are very likely at one time or another to go off in a direction that's not very healthy. Watch out. Watch out. It's the people who can sometimes say, I don't know, who are healthy, who are honest, who are not trying to put their truth into the scripture so that they will have something profound to say to you. Very, very important. You know, one of the things I I appreciate about this church, one of the things I appreciate about the elders in this church is that from the very beginning, they have never claimed to be God. I love that. I love it. From the very beginning, they have said, you know, there's a lot we don't know. They don't step down from being an elder because they don't know it. They don't realize probably that that's one of the main qualifications that God chose them to be an elder because they have the capability of saying, I don't know. That's what makes them soft enough to hear God instead of replacing God with a bunch of rules and regulations and a bunch of doctrine. That's what lets them wait on God's timing to be able to say, I don't know. We will go on the evidence that we have so far, and if we're wrong, then we're wrong. The difference between intellectualism and intelligence is the capability to realize how much you don't know. Intellectualism never realizes how much it doesn't know. All it can concentrate on is on how much it does know. And down through the centuries, the church has given ways, way to various heresies 
various forms of Gnosticism. Gnosticism, Gnosticism is a Greek word for knowledge. Because people feel like they have to know more than anybody else. They have to have an answer for everybody else or they're not being real spiritual. In the secular world, it was the Renaissance, the the age of reason, and so on and so forth. Everybody likes to know everything. We've got an entire culture that loves to know stuff. Useless stuff. The bestseller for years was the book of lists. It gave you lists, just reams and reams of lists of stuff. Who asked? Who cares? I mean, really, who cares? I picked up a Bible book the other day, bought it. And then afterwards I thought, why did I do this? It's the Bible book of lists. How many times is Satan mentioned in this book? 26 times. Who cares? I mean, does it matter? No, I just had to have that knowledge. Okay, somebody ever asked me how many times Satan has been... What I was doing was grabbing for something instead of God. I was grabbing for a knowledge of God. See? A knowledge of God. We can't be so thirsty for knowledge that he substitutes... It substitutes for a personal relationship with God. And all of us are sorely tempted to do that. Because knowledge is something we can control. Knowledge is something we can dole out. Knowledge is something that makes us look big. Do you know how tempted I am to do ministry and service for people so that I can look good? Instead of so that God can look good or their answer gets, gets their needs get met? I'm tremendous... Some like two months ago, a guy came into my office, and I'd never met him before. And he rolled out. By the way, you'll never even don't be afraid to come into my office because if if you're ever used as a sermon illustration, it would. Ne- I change sexes, I change time, I change. Nobody could ever guess. Okay, so <laughs> please don't ever be afraid that I will use you, even though I probably will. No, but but a guy came into my office. Never met him before said he was in tremendous need, you know, just rolled out, you know, all of this need. And, and as he was rolling out these needs, I thought, we can do that. We can help with that. We can do that. This is no problem. I was just about to open my mouth and say, let me tell you how we can help you. And it slammed shut. My mouth did. I had to what a... Those of you who are, who are familiar with vernacular, word of knowledge on the guy. For those of you who are not familiar with that term, it is um, an understanding. You don't realize where you got it, but it's an understanding of what's happening in their lives. I had a word of knowledge on this guy. And the word was, don't you dare help him. And don't you dare, because part of what I was thinking is I could explain why he was at where he was at. And I could explain to him how to get out of it. And the word was, don't you dare. All his life, he's been self-operational. All his life, he's figured out answers or somebody's given him answers. And I'm finally getting him to the place where he comes to his knees and I'm the only thing in the world he's got to, to seek. Don't you dare. So I didn't. I didn't say a word. I wasn't even allowed to give him information that I thought would be helpful to him. Because I really believed in my spirit that God 
was getting him to a place where he had absolutely no answers. If he had had one answer, he would have followed the answer instead of going to God. You understand what I'm talking about? We can always follow the answer instead of going to God because it's always more secure. It's always easier. Just didn't happen. So you've got to watch out. We've got to watch out for loving knowledge of God, knowledge from God more than we love God. Very, very important. And we've got to be intelligent enough to say, I don't know. I'm depending on God. If God wants to teach me in his time, that's okay. If he doesn't, I think he will accomplish it without me. But I'm depending on him. That's intelligence. And that's what I value about this congregation. You are intelligent. You don't need to have all kinds of answers. And it's a dangerous thing to seek answers out of intellectualism and reasoning. I came in here this morning, drove my Jeep back there. Top down. I love to ride with the top down. <laughs> Come out of Dunkin' Donuts. In the, in the middle of Saturday night, oh, it's great. Drive to the church, you know, or the middle of Sunday morning, rather. Drive to the church, you know. It's great. What a great way to start off. Come here and pray. First of all, though, I checked the sky. And I thought to myself, this is beautiful. I'm not going to put the top up because it never rains. First of all, the chances of it raining in the morning in Florida are almost nil. The chances of it raining when you can see all the stars in the skies are a hundredfold almost nil. So I reasoned to myself, this is a process of intellectualism, that the chances are there's not going to rain. Came in, started to pray, was having a great time, great time. Sensed God's presence and his warmth, and I heard this roaring sound. I thought, oh boy, he's going to speak in a mighty wind this morning. And I was listening, and I said, yes, Lord. And I thought, that's not the Lord, that's the rain. <laughs> Look that. Pouring, torrential rain. Intellectualism had got me into a fit, or into a mess, because I had estimated the chances on the basis of the evidence, on the basis of past experience. If I was intelligent, what, would have, what I could have said at the end of that is, no, the chances are very slim, but you don't know. It could rain. Do you want to take that chance? See, all of the doctrine that we put together for God is so secure and it feels so good and we, re we rely on it so much. But intelligence says, but you don't know. You don't know. You've got to rely on me. You've got to rely on a personal relationship with God. Very, very important. Let me just say a couple more things to you and then we'll quit. First of all, one of the reasons that God does not speak to us at some times in our lives is because he does not want us to have a simplistic theology about him. He, he doesn't want us to have easy answers because it breeds shallow Christians. Unless we're frustrated to a certain degree, we will never dig deep for God. It is not in our nature. Therefore, we will have to be frustrated to a certain degree, before we will ever go down on our knees and depend on him. That's just our nature. He doesn't want us 
to think things are simple. I love Garrison Keillor. I read uh, Lake Wobegon days, the, the radio guy. No light over here. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm not walking in darkness. <laughs> Anyhow, in one of his books, he tells about this guy who goes down in the south and... Uh, He's going on the, the trail of the Confederacy. He's, he's a history buff, you know, and he's going on all these things, you know, and he's, love, he's beginning to love these Southerners. This guy's from Wisconsin or whatever state he's from. I don't know. And uh, going down, and he's beginning to love these Southerners, and, and you know, they, they still have rebel flags and all this kind of stuff. And he begins to appreciate Robert E. Lee, you know, and, he's, and you know, he asks the question, was Lee wrong to commit treason because he loved friends? Robert E. Lee, for those of you who, who love history, was not thoroughly convinced in the justified reason of the South separating from the North, but he loved his friends, so he stuck with his friends. It was out of personal loyalty, not out of intellectual uh, agreement that he went with the Confederacy in the first place. But he says, what was a man wrong to commit treason in order to be loyal to his friends and 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 what about all these folks who are just loving and kind and wonderful and so on and so forth? And, and it gave him a lot of trouble inside. And he said, no, no, the Confederacy was wrong. But nothing is simple. I think God wants to teach us that. I think that there are certain things that can be wrong or certain things that can be right and it can be very clear, but nothing is simple. Nothing is simple. And God wants us to know that there is very, very much we don't know so that we can rely on the very, very much he does know. And so that we can continue to dig and continue to rest and continue to trust and continue to turn our lives over to him because it's very evident that we're going to go muddling through life our whole life. Is that evident to you? Is it evident to you that as an individual, you're never going to quite get it together. Uh, that's a shocking thing, isn't it? But when that hit me, it was a horrible revelation. I'll never have it together? No, Hunter. You are doomed to muddle your whole life. Okay. You see, as long as we believe in the God of knowledge, the God of reason, we think that there's some big answer out there that's going to be wonderful and somehow things will get solved. But the fact is we live in a world of sin. We are sinners. Saved by the grace of God, but we're still sinners. And we'll muddle through and we'll make mistakes all our life long. And we have no recourse but to trust God, that turn our lives over to him. No recourse. But let me tell you one redeeming thing about that. In that last song, or that one song we sang, I forget what it, but it, it talks about his most astounding, awesome work was done in the frailty of his son. There is something in our frailty that connects us with one another. While we're running around trying to look like we know everything. There's no connection there. There's, there's admiration, there's respect, but there's no real connection. But when we can admit we're muddlers, 
If, when I admit to you that, I, that I'm a muddler, doesn't that just kind of make you feel a little close to me? Like I found my peers? Doesn't it just say, poor baby? I mean, don't you want, you just want to look at me and say, this sucker doesn't know what he's doing. We got to stick it out with him. I mean, isn't there, isn't there a connection there? You know, if I, if I, you know, stumble over something some Sunday and preach with brilliance, you might say, boy, I admire that. But when I get up here and say, boy, I just, I'm lost here. Isn't there something inside you? say, I could be his friend. Isn't there? See, that's where we make connections. In our strength, we have respect, but in our vulnerability, we have love. Let me tell you about one of my favorite movies of all time, Wizard of Oz. It's not because, it's not because I like to see scarecrows dance and all that kind of fruit ball stuff. I don't, I don't like that stuff. And it's not because I really approve of them dressing short people up funny. There were probably a lot of my relatives in that movie, and I don't appreciate, I don't appreciate people making fun of short people. But it's because here's four people out on some road believing that at the end they will have some magical answer to their lives. Believing that there's somebody out there, some person that is so strong they can answer everything for them. And they get to the end of that road and they go into this huge throne room and up on the wall is this image and it's scary and it's terrible and it's horrible. I am the Wizard of Oz! And it's frightening and they don't want to go near it. But they have to because they need their need. They got to get their needs answered so they go up and they say, well, you know, I want, I want courage and I want, I want a heart and I want a brains and, and, and I want a way home and we got to get our... You can't ask me for that stuff. You go out and you do this and that and then, boy, they go out. And they come back. And here's this horrible image again. And then this irreverent dog <laughs> just pulls back that curtain. And there's this little old fat guy back there working these like crazy, trying to project an image of himself that will be awe-inspiring. This little fat guy back there just working it like crazy, trying to stay hidden so nobody knows who he really is and, and who he's really not. And he comes out and he says, well, I can't give you all. I don't, I don't, I don't have the answer. But he goes to each one of them and he, and he explains to them what they do have already. You know, you do have a heart you loved and you do have courage. You stood up for Dorothy and, and you do have a brain, you know. So therefore, I'm just going to tell you what you do have. Don't have any big answers, but... If you can accept you for who you are, you're going to be at peace. And at the end of that whole process, Dorothy leans over and kisses him. Now, she never could have kissed the wizard on the wall. Never could have. First place, that wasn't really him. But in the second place, he was so scary and so awesome, there was no intimacy there. But this little fat guy, who just does what he can do. And he's finally exposed for the kind of stupid little clown is kissable. 
I wonder how much of our time we spend in this world try to gain respect for what we know. And I wonder why nobody loves us. We're trying to cast this big image that we can answer problems, we can do it for you, and then wonder why there's no intimacy there. Vulnerability is kissable. You know that? It's kissable. And the story of our God is the story of one who would come down and die. Is a story of a personal relationship. Jesus is God not because he knew more than anybody else. Or not because he answered more needs than anybody else did. He's God because he loved us better. He's God who is touchable. Because he was willing to become weak for us. And not have all the answers. Let me ask you to do a couple of things during this prayer time. First of all, if you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and it's because, and I know this is a, this is a reason because I, I hear this from people, I just don't know enough yet. Let me ask you if you know this. Do you know you don't have as close a relationship with God as you want? Do you know that you are a sinner and you can't cure that sin by yourself? Do you know that God loves you? And can you believe that Christ died on the cross and that death washes away everything that could stand between you and God? Because if you know that much... That's all you need to know. And there's not much more than that. For those of you, I'm going to say a prayer in a minute, and I'll give you a chance to turn your life over to Christ. For those of you, though, who have already done that, but you are facing, and I know there are some of you who are facing some horrible, uncertain times ahead. And you wish you had the answer of how it was going to be. If God would just tell you what to do, or where to go, or who to love, or what to know, you believe it would be easier. But he isn't. You keep checking, and he isn't yet. Let me ask you if you We'll trust him anyhow. If you'll just crawl up in his lap and say, God, even if you don't tell me what I believe I need to know, I'm going to trust you anyhow. I'm going to let you love me. And I'm going to love you. These things that I believe are crisis points in my life must not be If you haven't given me the answer, you must be the answer. Please, don't give me anything that will guide me away from you personally. Don't give me anything that will allow me to rely on it instead of on you. 
That's my request because I know ultimately that's my fulfillment. Could you pray that this morning? Would you pray it with me right now? Lord God, a lot of us here are just a bunch of bumblers. And we keep thinking we know what we're doing, but we don't. (laughs) And we keep trying to make believe and help others believe that we know what we're doing, but we don't. Not all the time and not enough time do we really know what to do. So we want to come to you this morning and say, help. Help us to get out of the pressure of having to know all the answers and into the pressure of just being able to love. Some of us, Lord, need to trust in Christ personally and turn our lives over to him. And it's the biggest move ever because there's something in us that still thinks that if we stick with it long enough, we'll know the answers without him. Will you please cast that idea out of this sanctuary this morning? Please eliminate the idea that we can ever know enough in ourselves to have peace or to know joy. Help us to know that that only comes with the love of Christ. And so for those people today who want to admit that they are sinners and accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross and begin to follow you today and love you as a person, let that be done right now. And for the rest of us, Lord... Will you please be God and please help us stop trying to be God? Will you please do the judging and help us stop? Will you please do the loving and help us to quit trying to arrange the world so that we can love it? Will you tenderize our hearts and fill them up with Jesus? Will you make us assume that we can't know the reason for every circumstance, but we can feel your love in every circumstance that we live? Make that our goal, Lord. And hug us. In Jesus' name. Amen.